Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Josh Hillis. Josh helps people beat emotional eating and finally hit their body composition goals. He does that by putting research and coaching experience together to create cutting-edge weight loss systems. Those cutting-edge weight loss systems show up in his books, workshops, and coaching. Using a skill-based, not diet-based, approach allows people to create a new relationship with their bodies and with food and get results that have previously never been possible. In the episode, Josh discusses how defining your values can help you stop emotional eating, the difference between rules and guidelines, what made him change his mind about food journaling, and more. But before we get to the episode, I want to share one of my favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. I don't know about you, but I used to think eating healthy meant I had to spend a lot of time and money at the grocery store until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since Thrive delivers groceries directly to your door, they're able to cut out all middle people and heavily discount their inventory. When I buy groceries on Thrive versus going to my local supermarket, I save at least $20 per order, and I'm able to fill up my cart from the comfort of my couch. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash thrivemarket, or just click through the link in the show notes. All right, it's time to hear from Josh. Enjoy. Simonson, Certified Nutrition Coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Josh. Thank you so much for joining me on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm I'm happy to be here. I'm excited. I'm so excited to have you. You were referred to me actually by another guest, and then I loved her, and then I followed you on Instagram, and could not love your content more. I mean, thank you. It's it's very well arranged visually, and then oh, yeah. also the content is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's 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 awesome. Thank thanks so much for saying that because um, that's a that's that's a, that, that's that's the thing I'm, I'm I'm interested in is is like how it gets presented. Oh, really? Sure. Okay, because I'm very judgy on the, present- <laughs> the presentation of Instagram posts and graphics, which is why I typically don't do a lot of the kind of static posts anymore, because I just don't have it in me to create ones that look very cool. Right. Uh, so then I just look at yours instead. You're, you're, you're like, if it doesn't look cool, don't do not do it at all. So I, I actually have a graphic designer that I work with that designed okay. kind of some of my so, some of my look. <laughs> that would be the trick. I've tried so many times in Canva to yeah. 
come up with my own thing using what they already have. And then every time I do it, I, I just hate what I come up with. So <laughs> maybe someday the graphic designer is the route I will take. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have Get, get a pro. <laughs> exactly. A pro Find somebody who that's what they do and then it'll look better. That's, yeah. that's what I'm taking away from this yeah. episode. <laughs> already, I have my takeaway already. Okay, good. Can you start off by telling us a bit about your background and specifically what led you to want to help people with weight loss? Yeah. Um, so I became a personal trainer kind of by accident, like, um, I was like, I'm going, <laughs> I was like, uh, I need, I, I'd been doing like door to door sales, which was not totally my jam. I was like, I need to figure out what I'm, what I'm doing, what I, like what I'm going to do with my life. And I was like, I'm either going to, um, while I'm figuring out what I'm going to do with my life, I'm either going to work at Jamba Juice or become a personal trainer. And I was like, being a personal trainer sounds more fun. And, um, and I just kind of never stopped. Like I, I thought that I was going to become like, I'd been doing jujitsu and I thought I was going to become a personal trainer and like work with like combat athletes. And then, um, every client that hired me was someone that wanted to lose weight. So I was like, clearly I need to figure out how that works. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because, uh, cause those are the people that are actually like, like paying me money. Um, and also, uh, also I, I liked it. I just, I just liked working with people. I liked coaching and I liked learning about it. Um, and so that's how I got into weight loss. But, um, my, my, my bigger, my, my biggest turning point with that was when I started running into clients that, um, that had, uh, were struggling with like stress eating and like emotional eating and we're like, Hey, you know, like I know what to do, but I can't do it. And, um, and I realized that I didn't have any tools for that. And, um, that's when I started like studying, uh, like, like pop psychology books and psychology textbooks and like going back to school for psychology and then reading research. And, um, and that's kind of how I ended up here where mostly what I do is, um, like eating behavior change, um, especially with like stress eating and emotional eating. Hmm. I wonder how many personal trainers have that exact same trajectory of, I'm either going to work at Jamba Juice or I'm going to be a personal (laughs) trainer. Do you think so you're like, the only one or do you think there's somebody else out there who had that exact same career path? I'm pretty sure it's just me. <laughs> um, no, and it's really funny because I was like, like I was thinking like, I'll do this for a year and then like figure out, figure out what I'm going to do with my, you know, like, well, yeah, I, if, if you told me that I'd still be doing the, like in the fitness industry 20 years later, I would never have believed you. Right. It's that whole quote that's trite of life happens when you're making other plans or whatever, right? You have all these other things that you'll probably end up doing, you think, but then that's when you happen upon the thing that you're going to do. Yeah. It kind of found you, it sounds like. Yeah. It just ended up being really cool. Like, like I I just love working with people and solving problems, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that is weight loss is a problem for many. And if you kind of tackle it, maybe then from that perspective of, okay, here's a problem how can we solve it for you specifically? And I love how you have such a personalized approach and you get into the psychology, which we'll talk about. Where would you say that most weight loss diets and programs go wrong? Uh, (laughs) How long um, do we have, right? (laughs) 
uh, I, 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 so the, the, the fundamental problem is, is, uh, rigidity, right? That you've got like a rigid rule set that's, um, based around this like perfectionist idea that like you have to do it hundred percent of the time. Um, there's a lot of like magical thinking about the rules they come up with. Um, and that, that rigidity makes it, uh, makes it brittle. It, it, it makes it fragile, right like the the amount of rigidity that shows up in in the average like diet book um can't withstand the ups and downs of just like regular life right um and like a normal person's life is dynamic they've got a lot of different things that matter to them there's no rule set that's going to make sense in every situation there, mm-hmm. there just isn't right like in unless unless your unless fitness is like your number one hobby or like the absolute like biggest thing that you're doing in your life, um, but the clients that hire me, that's not the case, right? They've got they they all have like big careers and families and and kids and community like they're part of community organization, you know, like they do a lot of stuff, right? There's a lot of stuff that matters to them, and um, the diets that they've done just uh, don't fit <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i was on a first call this morning with a new client and she kept saying when i did this last time when i did this last time and she was referring to two years ago when she did a program that was super strict and rigid yeah and so in her mind she's like i've done this i've done this i've done this but it didn't work it didn't work it didn't last and then I paused and I said, you know what? We have to kind of be careful of our thought pattern here because we're approaching this at a totally different angle. We're working with your unique likes, dislikes, and time constraints. And so if you keep thinking, I failed before, therefore I will fail at this, what you think is true and kind of you could end up failing at this if you keep thinking you're going to fail, right? So I said, what if we yeah. start thinking in the past it hasn't worked because my program was too rigid and strict and didn't allow for my lifestyle to happen alongside of it. And now I'm doing this differently. And she was like, Oh, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and just, I think you probably deal with this as well. So much of your success is wrapped up in your mindset about weight loss. And once you hit a certain point and you've done all the diets and programs, it's really hard to have this growth mindset that this new approach can work. Can you kind of speak to that in your practice of the mindset stuff you tackle with people when they failed at everything in the past and now they're coming to you for success? Yeah. Well, like, like I love, I love what you said or uh, what you said right there, because um, if they do the exact same thing again, they will fail again. We actually have to do something different. Like we actually, we actually do have to do something different. Right. And like, and like, and so I love what you're saying about like, we're actually going to take these things into account. Those like, like we're actually going to approach it differently. And so when, um, a a lot, I mean, you know, like we're, we're never anyone's like first, first stop. Right. I'm, 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 I'm like the 10th stop or the 15th stop. And I'm like, let's, let's actually look at like what worked and what didn't work about those things and the things that worked, we can actually keep. And the things that didn't work, um, that we can change. Right. So we can look at that and be like, Oh, okay. So like these diets all had different rules and they were all different things and they all conflicted. And I'm like, 
did most of them have protein? They're like, yeah, well, well, having protein like can make you feel more full. And did they have vegetables? Okay, like vegetables can also make you feel more full. So like those are things that you can put, you're like maybe we can keep some of that, right? Um, mm-hmm. They had some sort of like a balance, you know, and they're like, yeah, oh, they all disagreed on the balance. Well, if they all disagreed, that probably didn't matter. Right. (laughs) You know, but like there was some sort of, they were like, there was something kind of like a balanced meal. Um, and then the things that didn't work like, Oh, you got busy and then you couldn't keep doing it or, Oh, you went on vacation and you couldn't keep doing it. So, so, okay. We need to build in some, some amount of flexibility with that. And so I like, I, like I'm always hammering on like what we're doing differently and the kinds of, um, Okay, so we're, like we're always talking about perfectionism, right? One of the biggest pitfalls is, is perfectionism. That's what that's what tanks most diets, right? Like, oh, I I had the thing that's like bad that they told me was bad, and so I'm off my diet. And so we're always talking about like noticing those kinds of diet thoughts, and noticing that like I, like we may work with guidelines, we may we may add in skills, but but we don't have rules, and we try and notice rule based thinking. And we try and notice like, like, oh, here's how I make choices based on my values in, in different situations. And, uh, and so we're always talking about how we're doing it differently from diet world. And we're always noticing when that when those diet world thoughts start to creep back in, because they will, right? Like if, mm-hmm. if you've done diets for 20 years, they're not going to like magically disappear. But, um, but if we notice and name them, we can take a step back, put ourselves in the driver's seat, and we can do that those values-based choices or, the, or those, um, or that skill-based eating that is very, very, very new and making choice di- like dynamic choices based on values is so drastically different from the kinds of diets they've done before. And eating based on hunger and full excuse is so drastically different from what they've done before that, um, there isn't a lot of like, or, or, or I should say, as we go, there's less and less, is this going to work because I'm doing the same thing again versus like, whoa, this is really different and hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you've said the word dynamic a lot and I love that. I don't use that yeah. word often in my coaching practice, but maybe I'll start now. I, I really <laughs> like that thought. Uh, you've also mentioned values. So yeah. can you explain more of what you mean by kind of aligning habits with values yes oh man my favorite question um so um i'm using the word values in a very specific way i'm like there's a lot of different things that values can mean um i'm using it in a way that's kind of borrowed from um contextual behavioral science and self-determination theory and and like you put those together and you get like values as like kind of like a character strength Right, it's like the kind of person that I want to be, and so um, if we pull from that, a lot of cool things happen. Right, like, like if I'm like, hey, I want to make, um, if I want to approach my eating skills practice, and or I want to approach eating in a way that is, say, wise and connected and uh, playful. Playful sounds like a good one. Um, then. Those are three things that are they're, they're, they're character strengths. They're, they're ways of being. Um, you can actually use those to make decisions in a moment, right? You could actually say like, oh, you know what? Um, I really want to have the cake that's in the break room at work right now. 
um, my boss just yelled at me and I'm really stressed out and I'm kind of frustrated. Does it fit my values? Like, like, is it, is it wise and playful and connected to have some cake right now to, to like numb that out? No, it actually, it, it, it isn't right. Like that, that would not be the values based choice, but at the same time, it could be, um, your birthday or it, it could be like your, your mom's birthday and they bring out the cake and you're like, is it wise and playful and connected to have some cake right now? Yeah, it totally is. Could be the exact same cake, but you're able to look at who do I want to be and the, like, like who I want to be is someone that makes this decision over here and this decision over here. It's, it's not like I can't have a rule about cake because if, if I skip the cake on my mom's birthday, I'm actually not being the kind of person I want to be. Like that's, that's actually against the kind of person I want to be, right? And so um, that allows us to make those kinds of dynamic choices. Uh, those kinds of like, it, like when people talk about like moderation or flexibility, it's kind of meaningless because you're like, what you're like, how, how do I know? Yeah. <laughs> but if you define the kind of person you want to be, it's actually really clear. My clients all can tell, like, like they get, they choose their own values and, and they even choose what those words mean to them and, and all that. But like when they have that, they're really clear about what decisions towards values and what decisions away. They, they can make those. It, it's not, it's not that, um, it's not abstract. It's, it's actually really clear. And that's the way that we use values. And that's a very cool tool, especially as you said, in those challenging moments where, maybe you're tempted to eat to kind of numb some emotion like boredom or sadness or stress. Because if you can connect with those values, it, I, I mean, I just, I don't even know how to say I like what you said so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good because it's hard. It's hard if you are in this habit of eating because of boredom, let's say, and that is just muscle memory. You just do it yeah. all the time. And then if you're trying to practice everything in moderation, and like you said, these terms, they float around. That's actually not helpful advice when somebody says, you know, uh, I'm thinking of like the intuitive eating space, which I don't want to knock. I think there's a lot of benefits to that way of thinking, but I do have clients come to me from that space and say, okay, I worked on my mindset around food, but I do kind of crave some type of structure or guidelines or more skills around nutrition. Yeah. Uh, And so they feel frustrated maybe with that space of it just being this thing of keep all the chips and cookies around all the time and eat everything in moderation. And eventually you won't crave those things anymore. And then they say, kind of, but at the same time, also, I gained a lot of weight and I don't feel good in my body the way I am physically right now. So I don't want this excess weight. Uh, Can you speak a little to intuitive eating and maybe how your approach pulls in ideas from that and is different from it as well? Yeah. um, So... So, um, what I do with eating skills gets compared to intuitive eating a lot. I saw that. Yeah. Which is because I borrow from, um, because I I borrow from the research on hunger and fullness eating a a lot. And there's a lot of the same kinds of stuff in terms of like distinguishing hunger from emotions and, and things like that. Um, I've read a lot of research on intuitive eating, but I haven't actually read the intuitive eating book. You know, and, and I haven't actually read, so I, I haven't pulled directly from there. 
Um, and um, times when I've tried to speak to the similarities and differences, um, I'm not like like I'm at, I'm at, I'm actually not sure if I'm well informed enough about it to to do that. Right. right? Um, what I can say is that. Um, I have had clients that, that came from that space that felt a little like a little unmoored and, and, and it did want a little more structure for at least for a while. Right. Like, like, like uh, scaffolding is, is a term in, in teaching where you put in enough structure for people to do well and you remove that structure over time. And so it's, it's one of those things where like, if I work with someone for two, three years, they might just be making decisions based on their values and that's that's it. They're like, is this towards connection or away? And that's the only thing they're thinking of. But we didn't start there. We started off with maybe like some guidelines like pausing 10 minutes before snacking or eating balanced meals or putting their fork down between bites. And, and those, those guidelines made it easier, right? Like the putting the fork down between bites slowed them down enough that they could notice when full. The eating a balanced meal made it easier to notice when full and stop. The pausing 10 minutes before snacking gave them time to check in with themselves, right? And those kind of guidelines, like, it, it gives them some structure. It gives them something really clear they can check off. Like, I did pause 10 minutes before snacking or I didn't. Like, it's, like, super clear. Mm-hmm. And then we use that to work on on the skills for, like, okay, so I'm in that 10 minutes, can I check in with myself? Am I hungry? Am I not hungry? Um, you know, like what, what do I feel in my stomach? Am I hungry for a, um, a balanced meal or just a, a specific treat? If I wait a little bit, it, like if I wait 10 minutes, do I get, do I feel it more or does it kind of fade? Um, like there are these, these things we can check in with, um, with ourselves. Right. And, and if they're working on stressing or emotionally, they might also check in with like, what thoughts do I notice? Or do I have any feelings I can put some words around? Or, um, if it's not hunger in my stomach, or is there another bodily sensation that I feel? Right. Um, and so we can put the, that kind of like really difficult. And in the beginning, like in the beginning, really difficult and really messy skill work, inside of these like concrete and and pretty doable guidelines and then as they get better at the skills right then they can start pulling off the guidelines they can start pulling off some of that scaffolding and then they're working mostly off skills and then um when they get good at the skills then they're not really even thinking about the skills anymore they're just thinking about values but it started with a lot more structure and that and that's okay. And then the other thing that I, that I'd put in is, I think there's a step beyond mindful eating, which is uh, mindful decision making. Like a lot of my clients get hung up on like, um, in, in initially they're like, how do I know what full is? Like like I feel full or I don't feel full or how do I know when to stop? And um, when to stop is like, what's enough food to get you to the next meal? Mm-hmm. Like it's okay to look at your whole day and go like. Like, not just like, how do I feel in my stomach right now? But like, what am I, what does my day look like? What, what are my needs? Do I like, do I have six hours between lunch and dinner? I'm, I'm probably gonna need to have a bigger lunch than if it was four hours. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so and, and anyway, th- that's kind of like a roundabout way of, of approaching, uh, or of, of answering similarities and different differences. Yeah. Hey there, health investor. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Just popping in here for a quick minute to share an exciting opportunity with you. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in sustainable weight loss. 
If you've been struggling to lose weight and actually keep it off, I'd love to connect with you in my group or one-on-one coaching program. Unlike restrictive, hard-to-follow diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed habits and an everything-in-moderation mindset so that you can lose weight permanently, feel completely in control of your cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and stick with healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs and apply to work with me, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at The Health Investment. Now, back to the episode. Uh, earlier, you mentioned people come to you and they've had all these rules of the past and they're strict and rigid. And then you move to guidelines. Can you yeah. explain the difference between rules and guidelines? Yeah. Um, a guideline is like resetting the default. It's a, it's a, it, it's a thing that we can put in to make it easier to use skills. Right. So if someone's used to grabbing, uh, grabbing a snack every time that they're bored or tired or stressed out or, or whatever, then we put in a new default, which is they pause 10 minutes before they grab a snack. Right. And, um, and so that, that guideline is, it's a, it's a tool. It's a, it's a tool for checking in. And the thing is like, there's a difference between a tool and a rule. Right. Like, like, you know, the thing, like if you only have a hammer, everything's a nail. Um, you don't, you don't use the same tool for everything. The same tool doesn't make sense all of the time. So like, if I'm at, if I, if I'm going for a hike and I brought a bunch of snacks, cause like, I, I'm not going to pack a meal with me, but I, I packed a bunch of snacks. I'm just gonna eat the snack. I'm not going to pause 10 minutes. <laughs> it's not a rule. I don't have to pause. you know, if yeah. I've got a client that's, um, that's a nurse and um, isn't going to get like a legitimate meal break. And, um, and so it's kind of like snacking through their shift. They don't need to like pause. They, they don't, they don't have time to pause 10 minutes. Like if they get a chance to take a bite of their sandwich, they take a bite of their sandwich. Right. Cause that's another, another, another spot might not, not come around for a, a while. And so, um, and so it's one of those things where it's like, here are these things that are useful. How can I put them in when they're useful? And how can I take them out when they're not useful? Mm-hmm. You know, like having a balanced meal is a really useful way to notice when full and stop and to stay full between meals. It works really well. It's, it's way better than an unbalanced meal. And um, if it's, if it's uh pizza night with your kids if once a week you have you have pizza night and it's like the family get together thing then it's not it's not useful there right Mm -hmm. eat eat the pizza you know i mean and you could get into like oh could i add some salad and you know i mean like but but it's one of those things where like it doesn't have to be like rigidly like half the plate vegetables and quarter you know like that really works and it's not and it's it's not a rule Right. You know, and, and what also you we, do most of the time matters most. Yeah. yeah. And, and also we start looking at like, hey, if guidelines are tools, not rules, maybe we can use different ones at different times. Maybe like when I don't have time, don't have a lot of time, um, but I can I can bring my own meal. I'll have a balanced meal. Yeah. 
But maybe when I'm uh, having dinner at a friend's house and they make dinner for me, I can't have the balanced meal, but I can put my fork down and bites. And mm-hmm. so like I can use different guidelines in different situations based on what helps me at, you know, at a given time. Right. Yeah. You mentioned that you've changed your mind about food journaling Mm. And I'd yeah. love to hear you kind of elaborate on that. Yeah. Um, so the short version is that um, it was becoming a distraction. And it's it's one of those things where like, if we want to work on skills, then skills are the things we should track. And, you, and, and it, it, so like, it doesn't, it, it didn't matter how many times I said like the skills are the thing and not the food. If people were tracking food, they focused on the food. Right. 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 And it's, it's one of those things where like, like the, the thing that like, like I'm imagining your listeners that have, that have maybe always tracked their food and they're like, if I don't track their food, if I don't track my food, like I'll be lost you know like how do i have any idea what's going on and the thing is if you're still tracking let's say let's say instead of tracking your food you're tracking um putting your fork down on your bites eating balanced meals um pausing 10 minutes before snacking and uh distinguishing um hunger from stress right and you're tracking those things every day that's a lot to track First off, that's that's like plenty of stuff going on. Uh, but second, like like if you think about it, if you were eating slowly, eating balanced meals, you'd be pretty likely to stop when full. If you're pausing 10 minutes before snacking and you're distinguishing hunger from stress, you're going to be pretty likely to be like having a lot less mindless snacks. Like those are the actual like doing things of um, of self-regulating food intake. And that actually works all by itself and you've got plenty of stuff to track and you, and you don't have to feel like, like you're, like you're lost. Right. Right. So you can still track something to feel kind of that scaffolding idea Yeah. at first, especially to feel more that you're, what you're doing is tangible. So maybe if yeah. somebody's coming to you after keeping a food journal for five years, it feels weird to go from food journaling to nothing. So you're saying yeah. we let's still track, but let's track, skills rather than food or calories or whatever. And so you still, cause sometimes it's hard to kind of make it tangible, right? Even though food yeah. is tangible and we eat it all day <laughs> long, it's these, these skills are, you know, especially when you get into the emotional eating side of things, it's hard sometimes to make that tangible, which is why I really yeah. respect your approach. And you're giving these ideas of the, put the fork down between bites with pausing 10 minutes. I mean, those are things we can actually practice today. Yeah. It's not just this idea of eat slower. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is where I came up with the putting a fork down your bites thing. I was like, um, uh, it's, it's, it's so silly. Like, like coming from, like coming from a contextual behavioral science perspective, I'm like, there has to be a behavior, right? That's right. Be like a behavior of, of, of slowing down. Right. And, um, and like the chewing slower, like kind of always seemed weird to me, uh, yeah. honestly. Yeah. What does that chewing... even look like? <laughs> yeah. You're the so weirdo like, who's just or counting. I hate the yeah. 30 times or something. I mean, who is going to? And I've tried that before. It's weird, right? That's painful. Yeah. At yeah. that point, your food's not enjoyable at all. Yeah. 
Um, and so anyone out there listening, putting your fork down in your bites will feel awkward at first, but it's less awkward than those other things. Um, and you can actually do it. No one looks at you weird and it, you know, <laughs> um, and also you don't have to put your fork down between every bite. It, like you can actually, you know, have two bites in a row. It's, it's like whatever, whatever slows you down enough that you can actually like notice your own fullness happening. And also another thing is um, a lot of times I won't put my fork down any bites. I just won't put more food in my mouth while I'm still chewing the last bite. Yeah. Right. So it isn't, it isn't that like continuous, like conveyor belt thing, yeah. you know, or even preparing the next bite while you're still chewing, you know, yeah. like even if you're still holding your fork, you can just wait to prepare the next So it's not like you said, just ready the second you're done chewing (laughs) or even while you're still in the middle of chewing. Yeah. And one thing I want to throw out there, the thing that I love most uh, about putting the fork down in bites is that everyone tells me that they enjoy their food more. Mm -hmm. It's not just that it works for self-regulating food intake. People are actually like, oh, I actually tasted my food. I was actually like there for it. I actually enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people have gone on vacation and put their fork down in bites just so that they can enjoy the food on vacation more. Mm. Right. I, I, I love that. It's, it's, um, it's, it's multidimensional, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you're saying that, I'm just thinking in my mind that I really love going out to long meals at restaurants with friends. And I yeah. wonder, and you know, the food always tastes really good. And obviously it's restaurant food and made with delectable yeah. spices and butter. And, you know, it's delicious. But I also wonder if some of the taste from the meal is because I'm probably eating slower when yeah. I'm at this meal with friends because we're talking and enjoying the time. And so that's an interesting idea to kind of translate over to your home life that your food can be more enjoyable in the same way at home, but not if you're just shoveling it in and not paying attention to any taste or texture. You, you, you miss it. It's like, um, it's like, if you ever watch top chef, look at the way, look at the way that they, they eat the food, right. Mm -hmm. They, they, they get it. They're, they're there for it. Right. Taste, texture, presentation. They're like, they get it all. And, um, and like the worst thing ever is to have had something, not the worst thing ever, but like something that sucks is um, having had, gotten like a really great meal and like missing it. You know, not like you miss all of it, but like you miss most of it or uh-huh. um, working with like stress eating. Like when you stress eat dessert, it's kind of like all of a sudden it's just gone. Mm-hmm. It it wasn't like you were there and you enjoy it's it's like it's like something it's like something felt bad and then dessert just like disappeared, mm-hmm. and, you know like right. like like it's terrible to to to, to miss it, um, yeah. which it's so different from if I if I go to my favorite bakery and I'm like this is my favorite chocolate chip cookie and I like have a bite and I'm like I'm like looking at the chocolate chips it's all gooey and warm and I'm like I'm like I'm like there for it you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. And also now you have me totally hooked because chocolate chip cookies are my favorite from They're the best bakeries. Yeah. But I also, I'm wondering, do you have this kind of idea in your practice as well of kind of delaying gratification for your thing that is the worth it thing? So for example, mm-hmm. I used to say, I like chocolate chip cookies. So therefore I would just eat chocolate chip cookies when they crossed my path. I wouldn't discriminate. Yeah. 
And then when I got more specific <laughs> about it, I realized I actually don't like all chocolate chip cookies. They're not all created mm-hmm. equal. I don't like mm-hmm. Chips Ahoy. I don't like crispy <laughs> chocolate chip cookies when they're kind oh. of burnt around the edges. I don't like those. That's not your thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's not. I like the really gooey, soft, topped with sea salt, melty, better if yeah. it's warm. So now I'm much more judicious and if I come across a chocolate chip cookie, I'm not necessarily going to eat it because maybe that's not my cookie. That's not to me. It doesn't <laughs> yeah, look yeah. as good. Not my cookie, right? I'm going to wait yeah. <laughs> for the one. Do you do any type of that type of thought process in your practice? Of- so, so that, that, that shows up a lot around, um, around the values work. Okay. Yeah. Where, where people are looking at like, who do they want to be about food? And they're like, you know what? I don't want the cookie at, at the um, convenience store. I want the cookie at the bakery, <laughs> right. you know? Um, and, um, and so people can sort that out for themselves, like, like w- whatever that looks like. But we, we absolutely talk about that, right? Yeah. We absolutely talk about that. And we also talk about um, just, uh, you know, like I want to be the kind of person that has a chocolate chip cookie when I want it. But also if I have chocolate chip cookies, like three, four days in a row, I'm going to check in and go like, am I still actually choosing this or is this, is this just habitual? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and like, that's just kind of like, am I going to have a chocolate chip cookie every time I see one, even if it's at Seven Eleven or, or, or what, what, whatever, or, or am I waiting for, you know, like there's a lot of different ways to look at that, um, at that, at that values conversation. Right. Like right. who do I, who do I want to be about chocolate chip cookies? Right. Mm-hmm. And I want to have like me personally, I want to have the ones from the bakery and you know i want to have it when when i when i want it but also like if i'm having it every day then i'm i'm then like i at some point i stopped actually choosing and checking in mm-hmm. yeah and that, what do you me. suggest uh when somebody says for example you know it was my birthday and i had the slice of cake but there's the whole cake left or yeah. around the holidays you know i would love to have a cookie in moderation, but somebody brought over a whole platter or yeah. my kids made cupcakes and now there's 24 in the house. What do you suggest for challenges like that? That's a great question. Um, my, so here's, here's what I actually do. Right. So, so again, this is like, it's, it's not, it's not my choice to make for them. Like, like I want them to actually like dig in and get messy with their values and, and what they think. But what I do is, um, if I've, if, if I've got a whole cake, you know, for my birthday, I'm going to have a slice of cake every day until it's gone. And you know what? Eventually it's gone. Like I don't normally eat cake every day. You know, I, I don't have cake very often. Um, so for me to have a slice of cake every day, you know, if, if I have a slice and my wife has a slice and like, I, it's not going to last that long. And then when it's gone, I'm eating like I normally do. Mm-hmm. It's actually fine. Right. You know, it's, it's kind of like people are like, Oh no, what do I do to lose the weight that I gained on vacation? Well, are you on vacation forever? Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, like that would be a great problem to have, right? Um, <laughs> but like, if you if you just come back to your normal life and just eat like you normally do, like everything goes back to the way it was before, right? Like you you weren't you weren't maintaining that, you, you know. So um, 
I, I can eat a cake over a week and it's really not a big deal. And the yeah. same thing with Thanksgiving leftovers. Like I can have the Thanksgiving leftovers, at, you know, like past the past Thanksgiving itself, I'll just take the leftovers. We'll make like kind of a balanced meal ish, you know, I'll have some turkey and some stuffing and some gravy and some salad and I'll eat that once a day until it's gone. It's it's really not a big deal. And people will be like, but wait, you've told me about how you make stuffing with um with all the olive oil and bacon and and like that's gotta be way more fat in that stuffing than you normally have in your carbohydrates. And I'm like, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it it and actually it's is. It's delicious, but I have it maybe yeah. once a year or maybe more, but it's so yeah. good. And in three days, it's gone, and I'm eating the stuff I normally eat. And the stuff I normally eat actually works for my values, my goals, and who I want to be about food, and it's fine. Mm. What do you say to somebody when they tell you they don't have motivation or they've lost motivation along their nutrition or weight loss or health journey? Um, so first off, uh, everyone, <laughs> everyone loses motivation somewhere in the three to six week range <laughs> typically, right? Like, and that's just normal. That's like part of this, the cycle. Um, motivation comes and goes. Uh, it, it fails us at really predictable times. Um, we should expect that. That's okay. Um, no big deal. I, I try and let them know ahead of time, right? If I can let them know, like in, 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 in the program we run at GMB, I let them know right up front, like your motivation is going to fail in three, in three to six weeks. In my book, I'm like, hey, um, you're not going to be motivated in three to six weeks, right? And, um, and, you know, I'm sure there's someone out there listening that's like, it takes me nine weeks. Like, it, yeah. it doesn't matter. The, <laughs> the, the point is we should expect that. And that's not, that's not an indication that you're doing something wrong. That's not an indication that there's something wrong with you. That's like the normal path of like the novelty starts to wear off or like you hit your first difficulty. That's to be expected. And so there's a couple of different ways we can approach that. One, we could say, hey, you know what? That's normal. And, um, and the, 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 the feeling of motivation, that feeling like compelled to do this or the, this being exciting is going to go away. And I need to like, the, the game we're actually playing is taking actions that match our values, even when it's hard, even when it's not fun, even when it's not, you know, compelling. And so I'm going to keep practicing even without that feeling, um, an alternate way of approaching it would be like, hey, you know what? I'm feeling less motivated because actually my schedule kicked way up at work and or my kids are sick or like like something came up and like I actually just have less to give. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to dial back my practice. Like normally what people do is quit. I'm going to actually like dial it back. And so where I was practicing these, I was practicing four skills two or three times a day. Now I'm going to practice two skills once a day or three skills once a day. Or maybe they might be like, you know what? I can practice four skills. one Whatever. Um, but they're going to dial it way back. And people get like real nervous, really nervous because they're like, if I only practice once a day, that might not be enough for me to hit my goals. Maybe it isn't, but... It's, it's enough for you to develop your skills, right? 
Like you can get better at the skill of noticing fullness. You can get better at the skill of distinguishing hunger from stress. You can get better at putting your fork down in bites, practicing once a day. You can you can really solidly develop your skills practicing once a day. And then when your schedule opens up again, when life gets a little more chill, you can you can take that skill that you've developed and you can add that to other meals. Mm-hmm. Right. And I would argue that the practice that you get practicing that skill once a day when things are stressful or when when you're not motivated or when things are hard is actually like more important practice than you doing it two or three times a day when everything was chill. Mm-hmm. And so um, dialing it back is totally fine. Dialing it back totally be- beats quitting, which is what most people do. And this, the, the, the meta skill of um, dialing your practice up and down depending on your amount of life stress is what makes us really robust and enduring for the rest of your life. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I could honestly talk to you for hours. <laughs> you are a wealth of information and I really can't wait to send everybody to your social media. But one of the final questions I ask each of my guests is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? The health investment is the investment you make in everything that matters to you. I would argue that like our health is, is like a defining, um, it's, it's foundational to the capacity that we have to give to, to all of the things in our life. Right. And so, um, there, there are elements of, of, of health that are like luck and, and genetics and things like that. But there's also a lot that we can, that we can impact with our, with our choices and like investing in the stuff that, in the stuff that we can control and investing in the stuff that we do have impact over, like, like how much we move and the kinds of food we eat and, and the choices we make about those things. Like, um, that, that can give us more capacity for everything else. And I think, um, that I think that's an investment that um, pays huge dividends to to expand to like continue the metaphor. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. There's a lot of great metaphors and analogies with building wealth and building wealth. W L W E L L T H. Right, like. Uh, yeah. Same type of idea in terms of small actions or small amounts of money compounding over time. Yeah. Great yeah. wealth in the future. Um, yeah. But I, I agree with you 100%. I, I would love if you could tell us about your books. You have two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lean and Strong, Eating Skills, Psychology, and Workouts. And then Fat Loss Happens on Monday, Habit Based Diet and Workout Hacks. How are your books similar or different? They are totally different. Oh, awesome. um, so uh, Phallus Happens on Monday was the first book I wrote. Um, I wrote that for the kind of clients that I was mostly working with at the time, which were um, pretty um, – compared to the clients I work with now, they 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 were, they were um, further down the path in, in terms of like – fitness and health choice like they're people that had like mostly done okay on diets but it had hit some snags and so uh phallus happens on monday is a it's kind of like a it's kind of like a flexible dieting book it's um it's pretty heavily based on food journaling that was that was my thing at the time and i was taking food journaling and using that to um, pick out the habits that people needed to work on 
Um, it also has a great, great program for um, like body weight and kettlebell workouts. Like that, that part's still pretty rad. Um, but the people that tend to do well with Fat Loss Happens on Monday are personal trainers, athletes, people that are like pretty solid fitness people already. Um, they tend to get a lot out of that. Um, if someone has trouble with stress eating or emotional eating, it's, I would not recommend it. I actually would not recommend it, which is why my entire perspective shifted so much. And, um, and so, uh, seven years later I wrote, um, uh, lean and strong eating skills, psychology workouts. That is all of the kind of like skills based values based stuff that we've been talking about on this call, um, based on the clientele that I work with now, which is, um, still people that that all that like work out and and have done a bunch of diets but they've been thrown off on a lot of their diets by some sort of like stress eating or emotional eating thing came up and so um if that's where people are at i definitely recommend the second book over the first mm, awesome and then where can everybody connect with you and find you on social media uh instagram uh, joshua hillis um, is my Instagram handle. Uh, Josh Hillis was taken, um, oh, but Joshua man. Hillis, you can find <laughs> me. Um, and um, uh, I've got a blog at uh, joshhillis.com. Um, I also write stuff over at gmbfitness.io uh, where I um, run the GMB eating skills program. Um, that's me. Awesome. Well, I'll put links to all of those things in the show notes so that people can easily click through and find you and see what I mean by your very beautifully arranged and well-written Instagram posts. So. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, I, and I'm, I'm way more active on Instagram than any place else right now. Oh, okay, good. Good to know. I mean, it seems it. I mean, if you were more active somewhere else, I would be <laughs> like, how do you have time for that? Because you are very active over there. So. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. Well, I honestly could not have enjoyed this conversation more. And I truly look forward to staying connected with you off air. And just thanks again, Josh, for being here. Thanks for having me. This is so much fun. I totally appreciate it. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.